Well, good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. Uh, my name is David, and I'm uh, so glad you decided to join us here this morning. If you're a regular here, you know we have been waiting, it seems with bated breath, uh, for Matt and Olivia to have their baby. Um, and so I wanted to... Uh, go ahead, you can clap for that. Yeah, that's right. I wanted to... Uh, Wanted to relieve some tension, so maybe you'll listen to like two words that I say this morning. Um, but they did have their uh, baby on Thursday night. Um, Callum Samuel is his name. Um, yeah, that's awesome, right? We're super, super uh, happy for them, and I'm, uh, I'll let Matt tell you all the whole story, as I'm sure he will be very happy to do, but just wanted to update you on that. Well, this morning, we're going to get started by looking at some really, really, really important things in life that we can sometimes get divided over, some things that can cause us to have lots of really heated debates um, and discussions, some really, really big, major life choices. And so I've put a few of them on the screen for us. If we can go ahead and go to that slide. Um, So everybody's got to, you got to pick a side. Like I said, very important life decisions, right? Okay, so first we have Coke and Pepsi. Who is a Coke person in the room? Go ahead and raise your hand. Wow, okay, not, not many. Pepsi? Is that everybody else? Okay, just not too many voters. All right, here's a big one that seems to make people mad very quickly. Um, iPhone or Android? iPhone or, who's iPhone people in the room? Okay, how about our Android users? Okay, all right. I, I have to add, I know I already said I'm an iPhone person, but I've never met somebody more stubborn than somebody who's got Android and refuses to go to iPhone. <laughs> never met anybody more stubborn. I'm not saying they're better, I'm just, I'm just saying. Most stubborn people I've ever met. Anyway, um, dogs versus cats. Who's, who, who are the dog people in the room? Who likes dogs? All right, cats. Okay, all right, interesting. Um, this one might be kind of one-sided. Coffee versus tea. Who's, let me see the coffee people in the room. All right, I've got some excited ones. Tea, anybody for some tea? All right, really? Christian, really? I, didn't, I wouldn't have thought that. That's cool. All right, cool. Um, morning versus night. Do you like the morning or, or do you like the night? Who's the morning people in the room? All right. Okay, not, not too many. How about the night people? You like to stay up way late into the night, like my wife. It's very interesting how in marriage you almost always seem to marry somebody who's the opposite, right? And that can always uh, create some division in the home. Um, so like I said, that's just a little bit of fun. But there are those things in life that can divide us, right? Things that we can, we can have arguments about, things that we can get really angry with other people for, for uh, being on the other side. Hopefully it's not Coke versus Pepsi. But there's, there's things in our life that we really can get really divided over really angry with each other over. And, and even as the, the church of God, where we're supposed to be the, a family of God, sometimes even in our churches, um, we can get really hot and really debated and, and really angry over all kinds of things. And so this morning, what we're gonna talk about is, is how we can handle those things that have the potential that sometimes cause divisions in our churches and in our lives. How do we handle those things where we disagree on? How do we handle those, those differences that we have in our life? How do we handle those things in the way that God would have us? We're continuing our series in, in 1 Corinthians. We're looking at a pretty messed up church that was blessed by God. Paul planted this church and then he went on to plant some other churches and after he left, it seems like this church almost like fell apart. They went way off the the deep end. We looked last week about some of that mess that was in that church. And while this letter was written almost 2,000 years ago, um, it really addresses some of the mess in our church, some of the mess in my life. And if we're honest, I think maybe some of the mess in your life as well. And last week we opened up talking uh, about the background of the church of Corinth and kind of the foundation that Paul lays in those beginning verses where he leans heavy into the grace of God because he knows that is the only hope that the Corinthian Christians had. 
And we talked about how that's the only hope for you and for me today as well. Today we're going to begin looking at all the the problems that Paul addresses at this church, the mess that they needed to clean up. And we talked briefly uh, last week about that list of those issues. There was division in the church. There was a guy who was sleeping with his stepmom. There was the rich who were getting drunk at communion. There was worship services that were totally out of control. There were possibly people in the church who were visiting prostitutes at the temple of Aphrodite. I mean, this was a messed up church. This is a really messed up church. And if you were Paul, where do you think you'd start? If you had to address these issues, where do you think that you would begin? I think most of us would want to start with the most important, most foundational issue first, right? That's what we'd want to get to first. And so I'm pretty sure I would start with the sexual sin in this church that seems to be like out of control, like sleeping with your stepmom. That's gross. Visiting the temple of the goddess of sex. Like that's not okay. Like those are some major issues that I feel like that's what I would want to address first if I was writing to the Corinthians. But that's not where Paul begins. Paul starts with the issue of division in the church. In fact, Paul is going to spend the first four chapters, about a fourth of this book, addressing the issue of disunity and division in this church. Paul knew that the issue of division in this church was the most important mess that needed to be dealt with. And we need to lean into what he's saying so that we can, we can understand how we are supposed to behave as the church today. You see, Paul understood this. A divided church is an unhealthy church. A divided, unhealthy church is a dying church. Therefore, the church must fight for unity. Paul understood that. But you see, Paul understood disunity as the most messed up thing in this church at Corinth. We would probably look at those other sins and say, wow, those are, those are bad. But Paul understood that disunity was the most important th- thing. But I think in reality, we're, you and I today, we're so used to disunity and division in the church and in our culture that we don't see it as that big of a deal. We are used to it all around us. It's celebrated, right, in our culture. It's almost like the cool thing to be disunified and angry at other people. We're told to do that every single day in the culture around us. And unfortunately, I think sometimes the church is not much of an exception to that. We can be known sometimes in our culture for splitting over minute details of theology or over the color of the carpet in the church, right? Maybe that's why we have cement floors in here. I don't know. I wasn't here when they built it. But we can be known for, for having these petty fights and petty battles. We've grown used to and I think numb to how sinful disunity is and how contrary to the message of the gospel that it is. We might see it as a problem, but not like that big of a deal, And so we need the grace of God to help us see disunity for what it truly is. And so we're going to lean into what Paul is saying here as he steps into the mess that is our disunity, the mess that is our understanding of what unity even is, uh, start in in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. 
And so first we see an appeal from Paul to be unified. He says there should be no divisions, that they should be perfectly united. And that's a pretty big expectation. Doesn't that sound like a pretty big expectation? He doesn't say that there should only be a few divisions or they should be united in the areas where they're comfortable and where they already agree with each other. Paul says there is actually no room for divisions in the church. And for many of us, that might seem like an impossibly high calling. Like, I don't know about you, but I feel like there's that my marriage doesn't even hold up to that type of, of high calling of unity. Like, I'll admit that there's, there's arguments and disagreements in my marriage. And, and is anybody else willing to do that too? Like, even in the best marriages, there are, right? We have arguments, we have disagreements, right? And so how is this a reasonable call? Well, I think that question exposes that we don't truly understand what unity is. We have an idea in our minds. We think we might know what it is, but we don't truly understand the biblical concept of unity. And so that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. What is unity? What is unity not? Make sure that we're super clear on that so that we know how we're called to be as the people of God. But before we do that, Paul's gonna get into what was causing disunity in the church at Corinth, starting in verse 11. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So Paul says there's at least one big issue that is causing disunity in this church. And that issue is this. Their primary loyalty was to a personality and not to the person of Jesus Christ. Their primary loyalty was to a personality and not to Jesus. They were more devoted to, the, to a leader than they were to Jesus Christ. They had people going around creating these factions around, around Paul and Apollos and Cephas. And Apollos was the guy that Paul left to be the pastor there after he left. So Paul planted this church and then he moved on to plant some other churches and he left Apollos there. And Apollos was known as an excellent speaker. He was known as a good orator. And so there, you have some people who liked him. Like sure, Paul could preach, but you know, he's a, he's a church planter. So he's gonna like focus so much on the gospel while Apollos, he's probably gonna get into that deep stuff that, people, that church people like to hear. And so you've got people who are, who are flocking to Apollos. Like I like him. And then you have those who identify with Cephas, which is just another name for Peter. And so this is the Apostle Peter that we're talking about here. And so you probably had people who wanted to follow him because he was with Jesus for three years. And, and uh, at, you, he probably had a following with those who came to Christ out of the Jewish faith like he did. And then you have those who say they follow Christ. And, and commentators think, and I agree, that this isn't really people who just say they only follow Christ. This is actually more of a, a spiritual one-upping where they're like, I'm far above your petty battles. Um, I would never follow a person. I would only ever follow Christ. And look at how much better I am than you are, right? Like that's the kind of attitude that seems to be displayed here. And that really only divides further, right? That's showing that spiritual pride that we talked about last week. And that's only going to divide further because you think you're the only righteous person and everyone else around you is missing it. That's only going to divide even further. 
And here's the thing, the, the problem isn't necessarily following people. Paul himself in his letters says, follow me as I follow Christ. The problem is when loyalties cause controversies. When those loyalties to a person cause controversies in the church. You see, I hope you have leaders in the church that you like. I hope you like your small group leader. I hope that you love Matt as your pastor. I hope you love the campus of Bridgewater that you normally attend. But when we identify with those leaders or those campuses or that church more than we do with Jesus Christ, something has gone wrong. Something is off. Those loyalties should always be secondary to our loyalty to Christ. Because when we become primarily devoted to a person, when they fall into sin, or maybe God calls them on to another ministry, our spiritual life is ruined. Like we don't know how to go on without them because we were so dependent on them. Our whole spiritual life was built on them. Sometimes you'll see when a pastor leaves a church, whether for a good or for a not so good reason, you'll see a bunch of people leaving the church. And I think sometimes what that is, is they were more devoted to that pastor than they were to Jesus Christ. There could be other things going on. I understand that. But I think sometimes what that exposes is they were more devoted to that guy who preached the way that they like, who made them laugh, who, who did whatever it was that they liked about him. They were more devoted to that than they were to Jesus Christ. There was rivalry between the leaders in the church at Corinth. And I want to point out that it wasn't created by those leaders. It was created by people who were elevating those leaders and comparing them to each other. They were elevating them and comparing these different leaders. But the, 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 the diversity in leaders ought to be celebrated, not compared. It ought to be celebrated, not compared, because different leaders have different strengths and abilities. God's going to use them to reach and bless different people. That is all by his design. And in the same way, we should not here at Bridgewater be comparing our leaders, our pastors, Bob, Brett, Jeff, Andrew, Tim, Josh, Matt, I think I got all of them, I'm not sure. Um, they're all different, and that is by God's design. And our church looks a little bit different here in Halstead than it does in Tunkhannock. It looks a little bit different there than it does in Montrose, and a little different there than it does in Vestal and in Conklin, and that is by God's design. Those differences should be celebrated, not compared should be celebrated, not compared. The moment you start comparing, you are opening the door to disunity. You are opening the door for all kinds of unhealthy competition over who is better or who's more liked or any of those selfish and carnal things. The moment you start to compare, you're opening the door for all that. And Craig Groeschel points this out. The fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. The fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. You want to ruin something that's really, really good and really cool? Compare it to something else, and all of a sudden, it's not as awesome. And you could say things like, I really like Matt. He's such a good speaker. Yeah, but he's not as tall as David is, so I like David better. <laughs> Obviously, that's a joke if you know who Matt is, right? But you see my point. When we start to compare, we destroy what is special, and we are setting ourselves up for a division. We are all one. And so if we start to compare and tear down, we're only hurting ourselves. So how do we walk in unity when we have differences or when we have disagreements? Well, Paul is going to talk about in verse 13, that verse we read, he talks about what unifies us as the people of God. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name 
of Paul? And the obvious answer to all of these questions is no, right? Paul is pointing out that they should be united not by Paul, not by Apollos, but by Jesus Christ. We should not be united around Matt or any other leader. We should be united around Christ. He is the center of our unity. The message of the gospel that Jesus died for us, that is what we can be unified around. This also means that there's an, if there's other churches in town that are preaching Christ alone, through faith alone, by the cross alone, then we are on the same team. We're united with them. We're trying to reach this community together. They are not competition. They are teammates. Yeah, they probably disagree on some areas of theology and practice, but if they're truly following Jesus, then we can have unity over that. That is what matters most. And too often... We have not done this well in church, at least there's some of the church circles I've been around. I've known far too many churches and Christians in them who feel like the church across town is in competition with them. And so I want to be really clear this morning. We are not in competition with South New Milford Baptist Church. We are not in competition with Stanfordville. We are not in competition with First Baptist of Halstead. Name whatever other church you want. They are not competition. They are teammates. And so when First Baptist is reaching people, we are both winning. When Stanfordville is making disciples, we are both winning. The gospel is going out and that is what matters. It doesn't matter if our numbers grow and theirs don't or vice versa. It's the gospel that matters and we can have unity over that. Sometimes people will leave here and they'll go to one of those other churches and it'll be told to us in leadership like it's this big issue that we should be really worried about. But if they feel that that church is where God is calling them and where they can best make more and better disciples, then we should celebrate that. We shouldn't be angry about that. We shouldn't be scared about that. If they're going to join another church and, and serve there and reach people there, that's an awesome thing that we should be able to celebrate. There are times in life where God moves people on to other communities of faith. But why and how you leave a church is a big deal. We must not be people who leave churches burning bridges. So if you come here for another church and because you're angry at somebody there or maybe you're running from the consequences of your own sin, we're gonna encourage you to go back there and make that right. Maybe ultimately you're gonna leave anyway, but we can't leave burning bridges. We gotta make those things right because Christ is not divided and so we can't be either. And if you're moving churches every two to three years, then I've gotta, I've gotta just wonder if that's God that's moving you on, or maybe that's something different. If you're coming here from another church and it's truly God that's moving you on, then I, I wanna welcome you here to Bridgewater. We're so glad you found the community of believers here, but again, how and why we leave a church is so incredibly important because we're all on the same team. They're not competition. I mentioned earlier that we probably don't understand what real unity is and, and therefore think that Paul's calling is just too high. And so I wanna walk you through what unity is and is not so we can uh, better understand what God is calling us to here. And so first, real unity is not uniformity. It is not uniformity. Unity does not mean that we all need to be clones of each other and walk and talk and dress exactly the same and like all the same things and agree on every single tiny little thing. I think we've often confused this in churches. We think that unity means that we need to believe the exact same things about the most minute details of theology. We all need to talk and dress and act the same, but that's not what unity is. Unity is loving each other in the face of diversity. 
Unity is choosing to focus more on what unites us than on what divides us. And guess what? Believe it or not, you can be friends with people who are not like you. You can be friends with people who disagree with you. That's one of the beautiful things about unity. And this is one of my favorite things, one of the things I've loved so much about being at Bridgewater. One of the unique things about being one church in many locations is that it forces us to think through this or we quickly can become divided. Even how we preach forces us to work through this because the the preaching team has to come to consensus on the messages that we preach. And sometimes what that means is that as an individual, you have to, to lose, you have to give up your preferences for the sake of the team because everybody else thinks that we need to go in this direction. And it's like, okay, I'm gonna give up my preferences for what the team thinks is best. But that also doesn't mean that we're all exactly the same either. If you were to go on our website and to listen to this Sunday's message from each of our different campuses, it would sound pretty different. It's all getting at the same core issues, all talking about the same main things, the same text, the same main points, but how it's gonna sound in Tunkhannock and in Montrose and Conklin, it's gonna sound pretty different because unity does not mean uniformity. Secondly, unity is not avoiding issues. It's not about avoiding those areas where we disagree because it's awkward to talk about, right? I think there's a very real temptation to just talk about those things we agree on because that's more fun for us. But we have to be able to dialogue on those issues where we might not agree with one another because that's what unity demands. Otherwise, what we're doing is we're not united in the face of diversity. We're actually just putting on a face of unity or an outward outward idea or look of unity, but inwardly, we're actually divided. But that also doesn't mean we focus only on those areas of disagreement either, right? Like we don't act like watchdogs who are constantly biting and attacking and anybody who disagrees with us on, this, on the smallest little thing, that's not how we behave either. Give the same grace that has been extended to us, but we don't avoid those issues. Third, unity is not overlooking sin. It is not overlooking sin. Unity does not mean we let someone in the church get away with sin. And I think sometimes when we don't want to confront someone in their sin, um, we make up a handful of excuses why we won't. And I think one of them sometimes that I have heard is that we wanna protect the unity of the church. We don't wanna cross division. We don't wanna cross fights. We don't wanna cause any of those things. But I, I need to tell you that that will not protect the unity of the church because letting sin run rampant in the church is one of the best ways to make sure that you have division in the church. If we're unified around Jesus Christ and sin blink, brings us away from Jesus, then that, that, that sin that we don't call out is only going to divide us further. And Paul's going to exemplify this in this letter as he calls out the sin in the church there at Corinth. So that's what unity is not. So let's look at what it is. First, real unity graciously disagrees. Graciously disagrees. Real unity is being able to disagree without backbiting, undercutting, maliciously attacking, or accusing. Real unity is being able to disagree with someone, maybe even over something really important, but at the same time, treat them with love and with grace. If we can be honest just for a minute, I think all of us would admit that we at times have been wrong about something. We've, we've been held a position and then later in life come to realize that we were wrong and have changed our minds. And I think all of us would say that when we were in at that point, when we were wrong, we wanted people to show us grace. We wanted people to be kind to us in our wrongness, didn't we? So why can't we show that same grace to other people in our lives? It's a phrase that I've heard a, a lot of times that I think helps me think about how to disagree well with others. Approach trumps content every time. 
approach Trump's content every single time. You can be 100% correct in the content of what you are trying to say, but if your approach is mean and vindictive, no one wants to listen to you. No one wants to talk to somebody who's clearly just wants to tear them down, right? And so how we treat people is so important. Our approach should always be one of grace, even if that grace is mixed with some strong disagreement. Well, second, real unity divides over essential and dialogues over important. Divides over essential and dialogues over important. We can and we should divide from people who do not agree on the essentials of the faith. And I think there's even a place within uh, Christianity for those theologically based neighborhoods, those denominations. Uh, it's okay to, I mean, we shouldn't have hard divisions, but have some organization around common beliefs and common practices, but there should never, ever be, be fences with barbed wire at the top between us and them that creates this us versus them mentality. That's not what unity is. We should be able to disagree with them with grace. They're all on the same team, right? We love that there's other churches in town that have a more traditional or a more liturgical worship experience or more whatever else you might throw in there because that might be the exact thing that someone needs to find Jesus. And in addition to that, there's far too many people in the counties that Bridgewater represents for one church to reach. And so we are so glad that there are other people on the team who are in our counties and who are trying to reach this area for Jesus. We can and we should Divide from people who do not agree with us on the essentials of the faith, but beyond that, we should be able to dialogue over those things that are important and dialogue with grace, right? Not with attacking. Unfortunately, Christians have shown a tendency to fight over all kinds of things and die on the wrong hills. Theology, politics, leadership structure in the church, the color of the carpet, you name it, Christians have probably fought over it, right? We've had people leave our church because uh, we didn't say enough about one issue or another that they were really passionate about. Maybe it was a presidential candidate, maybe it was some hot button issue at the moment. And the real shame is that we can get divided and upset about these issues that weren't even a thing two years ago and probably in another year will be totally uh, faded into history. I mean, are those, do those issues matter? Of course they do. Well, at least some of them, right? Some of them probably don't. But do those issues matter? Of course they do. But we should be able to discuss them, but we do, they are not issues to divide over. Regardless of where we stand on vaccination, masking, political parties, a host of other issues that we could get arguing about, at the end of our lives, we are going to stand before God. And the only leg any of us will have to stand on is, is his grace extended to us in Jesus. At the end of our life, we will not be accepted into heaven based on our political party, our political activism. We will be accepted based on the blood of Jesus alone. And guess what? So will the people on the other side of the aisle. And you're gonna spend eternity with them. If, if they're followers of Jesus, the only way they're gonna be accepted into heaven is the same way you and I are. And if they're followers of Jesus, you are gonna spend eternity with them. And so we should not create divisions on earth that will not exist in heaven. There is a dividing line, and we'll talk about that next week, but it's not Republican versus Democrat. It's not vaccinated versus unvaccinated. It's not Baptist versus Pentecostal or Presbyterian or whatever other name you want to throw in there. So let's not create divisions when God is calling us to unity. Well, third real unity walks in humility. Walks in humility. Unity requires that you be humble. It requires that you be willing to be wrong, 
Be willing to give up your way. Be willing to let someone else win. Be willing to put others first. Be willing to serve, right? And that's what real unity requires. It requires that humility. We all know that, that prideful people are really the hardest to get along with, right? And it's so easy to excuse the pride in our own lives while pointing out the pride in somebody else's. But we should instead be people who walk in humility. And foundational to all these things that unity is and, and is not is love. We cannot simply, we cannot live in unity without love for others. It's impossible. We cannot walk in humility without love. We cannot graciously disagree or confront other people without love for them. And that love requires that we fight for unity. We've got to fight for unity. You know in your relationships that if there's going to be any kind of unity, you have to work for it. Like in your marriage, it's not going to magically be this peaceful place. You've got to work for that. You've got to fight for that. And hopefully by fight, you understand that I don't mean you fight the person, but you fight for the relationship, right? And again, unfortunately, Christians have too often turned and fought each other when there is a real enemy out there who is trying to destroy everything that we stand for, but we get distracted with these petty battles and we don't even realize that he is having a heyday. He is destroying the church because we're fighting over all these petty things. We all need to fight for the unity of the church. We can't leave it up to leadership. We all need to Pursue unity together. It requires all of us to stop gossip. It requires all of us to stop the bad-mouthing of other churches or other leaders. It requires all of us to not have loyalties to a personality that are greater than our loyalty to Christ. It requires all of us to pray for the unity of the church and the unity of other churches and our unity with other churches. It requires all of us to walk in humility towards people who disagree with us. So I want to close today giving you two reasons to fight for unity. We find them in Jesus' words in John chapter 13. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So here's the two reasons. Number one, Jesus commanded it. And number two, non-Christians judge us by it. Jesus commanded us to have Unity. He said to love one another, and that love for one another is going to lead us toward unity. We can't say we love someone when we're disunified and have divisions with them, right? So Jesus commanded it. We ought to obey it. And secondly, non-Christians judge us by it. And I want to point out that this is Jesus who is saying that they should do that. They're not being judgmental. This is how the world knows that we are followers of Jesus. This is how we have a witness in the world. This is how we look different than the world around us, is that we have unity. We love one another. It's our strongest witness in this world. Unity is that important. Without it, we have no witness to a world that desperately, desperately needs the hope of Jesus. And we're actually gonna spend a, a few more weeks Talking about, how uni talking about unity because it's that important and also because that's what Paul is gonna continue to address here in 1 Corinthians as he talks to this church. So as we wrap up our conversation today, I've got just a couple questions for you to help bring this home, bring this toward, into your life. How are you doing in your fight for unity? Are you even fighting the right enemy or have you gotten distracted with these petty battles? Have you created some strong divides with people over things other than the gospel? Have you started to create some of those divisions here on earth that will not exist in heaven? Are you currently in conflict or 
in conflict with or at odds with another believer over some secondary matter, something that might be important, but it's not worth division. It's not worth giving up the witness of the church for. What can you do this week to make that right? Not let it wait, but what can you do this week, maybe today, to make that thing right? How are you doing with gossip, grumbling, complaining? Nothing will tear down the unity of a church like those, right? That gossip and that grumbling and that complaining will tear apart a church. Maybe today you need to have a conversation of repentance and reconciliation with another believer. Don't let the enemy continue to have victory in your life by keeping you from being united with other believers. Remember, Christ is not divided. And so we shouldn't be either. We should be on the same team, working together to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should be united with other believers here at Bridgewater Halstead. We should be united with other believers across Bridgewater. We should be united with other believers at other churches. We're all on the same team. We're all looking to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. That is what matters, way more than our preferences, way more than, than what we think is right, way more than the leader that we like. What matters is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to be united over that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's clear and that it addresses real, everyday mess in our lives today. It's not just some book written a long time ago. It actually addresses what's going on in my life and in the life of our church here today. And Father, thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus that means that we can have unity. We don't have to try and be united over a personality. We don't have to try and be united over liking the same things. We don't have to try and be united over hating the same things. We can be united because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so I pray that we would not be a people who get distracted with petty battles that just don't matter as much as the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, maybe there's important issues that we can dialogue over, but we should do that with grace and with love knowing that at the end of the day, what matters is the gospel of Jesus, and we can have unity in that. And so, Father, I pray that we would be a people who are united, truly united, and what real unity is, not trying to put on a face of unity, not trying to have just be uniform and all exactly the same, but in the face of diversity, in the face of being from totally different backgrounds and liking different things and and even disagreeing on some important things, that in the face of that, we would be a people who are united around the message of the gospel. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, that we can have unity in him. It's in his name we pray, amen.